0: Like we need to have a, an open hand and a, and a closed hand view of, of ministry. One that says, okay, what I've been given, I'm going to take responsibility for. I'm going to do something with like this. I'm not going to bury it. And on the other hand, I'm going to keep an open hand because at the end of the day, what I understand is that what I've received isn't, is not mine to hold forever. This is something that God's given me that if God were to give it to somebody else, I'm okay with that.
1: Well, hello and welcome to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. This is episode 76, and I want to thank each of you for joining us this week. And hey, if you're new to the podcast journey, don't know how you found yourself here, and you're just jumping in or you've recently joined in the last little while, I'd love just to share a bit of the heart of the team putting this on. This podcast is part of the Canadian Church Leaders Network. And it's fueled by pastors, and the Canadian Church Leaders Network exists to encourage and support pastors across the country, border to border, across denominations and regions, all church sizes. And more than a podcast, CSUN really is a growing community of pastors gathering around shared values and a deep desire to see Jesus' church alive and well in our time. So twice a month, we release episodes of this podcast to fuel the conversation that's really happening in the day-to-day lives of local churches. And you'll notice that we share interviews with local Canadian pastors who are leading churches of various sizes and denominations in different contexts. But then we also bring in global voices, people who are leading different churches and ministries around the world who can speak into the themes and issues of our day. And outside of the podcast, CCLEN is also involved with a few other things. Like, for example, we've got a Church Leaders Incubator for senior leaders on the front end of their ministry journey to really involve and develop them. It's a two-year program, it's pretty intense. You can find out more about that online. We also facilitate gatherings for pastors to learn from and grow in friendship with one another. We also do a lot of work in the digital space to provide inspiring content that speaks to the heart of what it means to be a pastor today. And one of the favorite things we do is try to tell stories, try to tell stories full of hope about where God is at work in his church in our nation. And so if you're new with us, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks for the work you're doing in your context to serve the church, whether it's in Canada or wherever you might be listening from. And if you would like to connect more, please visit us at ccland.ca or any of our social channels. Well, today I sit down with Brandon Richardson from Slate Church in Waterloo. Brandon and I have recently become pretty good friends, really just gathering around our shared experience of being a young pastor today. And we connected during COVID and have continued to meet, to wrestle through, how do we lead in this time? We share a little bit about that journey, a little cadre that we're part of over the last number of months. And we also talk through the story of Slate Church, about church planting and growing and changing and the challenges that come with that. We talk about their church's heart for the neighboring towns, the smaller towns in that region. And we recently had Brandon come out to a staff meeting when he was in town at our home church, and he shared this powerful picture of what stewardship and humility and responsibility looks like, and I asked him to share that leadership principle with us, and I hope it's a blessing to you like it was for myself and for our staff. It was a great conversation, and I'm excited for you to hear it. Last year, the number of people living in poverty globally rose by 131 million. This is sobering to hear after many years of gains in the fight against poverty. And that's why it's so important that organizations like Compassion are leading the fight to help communities that were hit hard to rebuild today. And the way in which they do all of their work is so inspiring. Compassion is committed to working with local churches on the ground in the countries they serve in order to empower and uplift those communities. So as you look ahead this year, Compassion could be a strategic partner if you want to help inspire your congregation to live radically generous lives. If you want to learn more about what it would look like for your church to join with them in their global work, Compassion would love to connect with you. Just head to compassion.ca slash contact to get in touch with their team. That's compassion.ca slash contact. Well, Brandon, it is a real joy to hang out. You and I do this a lot. Like we have these kind of conversations and this time we're hitting record. I know you're in Ontario. Um, tell us a little bit about your world. You got three kiddos, you're married, you're leading a church with your wife and just give us a bit of a window into your life and uh, yeah, stuff that's going on in your world these days.
0: Yeah, we, um, we pastor a church called Slate Church and uh, it wasn't until recently that, I don't know if the way I pronunciate Slate uh, has changed but I know tell off.
1: me what's what's the alternative pronunciation
0: well a lot of people have assumed that I've been saying like we're called slay church like we're trying to be super hip hip or something slay church I, yeah can you imagine um That's and so funny. I have had to clarify a lot recently slate and slate yes <laughs> and there's nothing like we're not trying to be relevant with that it was literally like you could get all the URL, urls and it sounded yeah. like a rock Yeah,
1: yeah, I like that.
0: So, yeah, we pastor a church called Slate Church in uh, Waterloo, Ontario. My wife and I, and uh, we have three kids. So uh, Kensington, Theo, and Claire, and we have one on the way. And uh, come on! And so we had our our first grouping of kids, like super, uh, like close together. So our oldest wasn't three, and we had three kids. So three kids in diapers at the same time. And uh, they're not, none of them are twins or anything. So we just like had them really quick. And uh, three years later, after our, our, our third, we found out we had a fourth. And so uh, we're just gearing up for that right now. Like it's the biggest on. thing on our minds.
1: So good. So good. Yeah. T- tell me how you found yourself in ministry.
0: Yeah. So uh, I didn't think I was going to go into ministry, like kind of consciously, until I was about 15 years old, I came in contact with a, an incredible youth pastor. His name was Jeremy Albrick. Hmm. And uh, through Jeremy and my dad's uh, kind of uh, influence in my life, I uh, started to realize like there was some interesting just dynamics that existed in my life that didn't exist in other kids' lives. Like I would set up all my uh, stuffed animals as a kid and I'd just like go to town preaching to them. Oh, and, it's so uh, good. Yes, I didn't realize that's not a normal like kind of, you know, growing up experience or, you know, quizzing the pastor on his on a sermon afterwards at seven years old. Like, hey, what did you mean by this? <laughs> and so, you know, at the age of 15, I was on kind of like I wanted to fast track my life to a life mm-hmm. of, um, you know, engineering or architecture, lawyer, those kind of like the the spaces. And yet my whole life growing up, my dad said, you know, if I could do anything other than what I'm doing right now, I'd, I would love to be a pastor Mm. And so he always had a high view of it. Um, he came from a you know a, a, somewhat like a, a background that was pretty rough and poor, and and so his main focus was providing for us as a family. So he mm. could never see himself like going in that area. But as soon as I told him like, "Hey, Dad, like I I think I want to become a pastor," it was like you know the lights turned on for my dad. Like he had accomplished his goal on earth to raise a child That's that served God, and and I so love yeah, that, that kind of kicked it all off
1: my mom used my dad was in ministry and my mom always would say to me whatever you do don't go into ministry (laughs) so i had a a, a little bit of a different influence um i love when i hear you chat about your dad um and i've heard you just a number of times in our other conversations like such a powerful influence and i think that whether it's a father figure or an uncle or just an adult in a young person's life like to have a high view of like what it could mean to be a pastor, to serve God's people. I just think that's really powerful. Like just that framework that he was able to create for you that created like, yeah, this is a plausible pathway that was obviously mingling with what God was already stirring in your heart.
0: Yeah. No, he's, um my dad is uh, consistently, even for our church, just refer to him as you know, he's my hero. Hmm. And uh there's this common refrain, like don't meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. And it's like, Hey, like that's, Par for the course. Like he's not a perfect human; he's just a human that's consistently be sur- being surrendered to God in front of me. Mm. And so, I even think that it's just aided me within pastoring because I never had this expectation. I have to be perfect. Um, I'm not afraid of falling um, because I've seen a you know a father that's been able to get back up. You know, every time he's fallen, he's gotten back up. So it's pretty mm. great.
1: That's beautiful. I've been thinking about different words we use. To make sense of the pastoral vocation you know mm. like some of the scriptural ones are like shepherd yeah. there's priest priestly and then there's this father thing and um obviously within the catholic tradition like um and probably other traditions as well this idea of like calling them father you know but yeah. i think about that as like as part of i make up my imagination and understand what does it mean at the core of this calling to be a pastor like shepherd priest but father's one that I keep coming back to, and obviously there's limits of every metaphor. It's a metaphor, not a reality, but that idea yeah. of being like like the self-sacrificing, going before, not perfect, in their life. Mm-hmm. just love that picture.
0: Yeah Yeah, and I think it's one that um, I think it's one that I'm turning to you so I can just see you. Somehow, it's been like you've been off-centered, and I'm like, like I'm going to be like, everyone's going to be like, well, "Who's he looking at?" <laughs> but now it's just me and you jay this is great Come on. <laughs> um yeah we just uh we just did a series at our church called child again and like how one of the most important uh ways that we can see ourselves our identity before god is as a child hmm. and uh i think fa- like the imagery of father whether it be in leadership or even just the way that we relate to god as father is like so significant and, and unfortunately there's like just a lot of baggage attached mm. to that in our world today. Like mm-hmm. that's not an easy term for a lot of people. And so I don't think most people would even recognize it, but I'm sure you find this as well. Like you just find yourselves in a lot of situations as a pastor where you're like, oh, wow. Like, like, like there is some level of like looking to some, um, idea of a father figure happening right now and being able to determine, you know, what part of that is healthy and what part yeah. of that is like you know need some barriers still but
1: hmm. um tell me so you're 15 you're starting to wrestle with this call you're kind of you expressing this to people in your life what was the what are the plot points following that that led you to actually serving in a local church and then eventually planting a church
0: yeah well i had a, a great youth pastor right and the amount of um stories that i'm aware of that that's the case like hmm. shout out to youth pastors that are serving yeah, faithfully come on. Come on. And not just using it as a um, a stepping stone, but like fully investing in that. And so, you know, I had a bit of an image of like, okay, what what makes a good pastor? Um, a good youth pastor? Somebody who's involved? Somebody who's willing to come alongside? Somebody who's willing to say the hard things when you need to hear it in a good way? Um, and an example of of humility and in, le- in leadership. And so, I mean you know, I had an image and then I needed to figure out, you know, what is the, what is the pathway to get there? And so I started dating my now wife at that time. So I was 16 years old, met my wife and uh, she, we were long distance. Um, and we were long distance for a little while. And we had decided like, Hey, we think that this is going in the direction of marriage. So we chose to go to university together. Um, she was going to do psychotherapy. I was going to do religion and theology. And we're going to come out and we're going to pass a church together. Cool. And uh, it was just like a really cool experience because here we are sitting in religion theology classes together um, in a university that we had not like, i never heard of it until we're like, let's just find one where we can do both of these things together. Where
1: did you study again?
0: Uh, Redeemer University.
1: Oh yeah. One of the things I love about your story is you have like this like kind of Pentecostal roots and then you were in a reformed context for undergrad. And I think what it's done among other influences in your life is you've got this like I just really love the way you've drawn some of the best from different streams and it's formed your leadership and your theology and yeah. you know i just love that about you man
0: well like this pentecostal kid going to this like very reformed university and uh the first time i heard about predestination like i swear i nearly lost my faith i was like <laughs> what does this mean and so yeah the process of like wrestling with that and like before I even knew what the word deconstruction meant, I'm like, yeah, I know what that means. Like I know what it looks like to do that in your life and to do it well and in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it just forced me to be like, okay, what are the core tenets of the faith? Like what is Jesus really seems to care about unity. So like, what does that mean in this context? So yeah, it, it was actually quite a beautiful experience, but um, I'm sitting there with my wife and, you know, we're learning all this together. And of course she grew up in a somewhat of Pentecostal background as well. And, um, it kind of released us like coming out of university to be like, okay, God, like we're not, we're not shooting for anything like it. We're not Hmm. like, there's, there's no game plan here. You got to lead us. And, uh, that's when Emma's aunt and uncle, uh, kind of tapped us on the, on the shoulder and said, Hey, like we've been leading this student ministry for a very long time. Would you be interested in, uh, in taking over leadership for it? So that's kind of how we ended up in Waterloo. Um, Hmm. it was like eight years ago.
1: Wow. And tell me about the, kind of the demographics of Waterloo, because one thing I love about Slate Church is you've got a real heart to serve Waterloo and the surrounding towns that are smaller. You've got a site in Elmira. You've got sort of these um, kind of budding, you can talk more about your model, but you're seeding sort of potential for sites in places like Coburg and Cambridge. And just talk a little bit about um, the demographic of Waterloo and the surrounding area and then your heart for that space. Yeah, it's
0: Waterloo is a really interesting um, place, Uh, has like a real history in in uh, kind of the industrial era, uh, making shoes and furniture and that sort of thing. And it's always it's had to reinvent itself a few times. And the most uh, recent reinvention uh, has to do with technology. So Waterloo would be considered the Silicon Valley of Canada because Mm -hmm. a lot of the tech firms in Silicon Valley will have their Canadian headquarters in Waterloo. And mm. so, you know, you have uh, uh, one, especially world-class um, university when it comes to computer engineering and engineering through Waterloo University. You also have a phenomenal business um, program out of Wilfrid Laurier University, and it attracts um, a lot of companies because there's a lot of talent in the region. And so you have, you know, Google's Canadian headquarters are in Waterloo Um Shopify uh, while they their main headquarters are in Ottawa in Ontario uh, their their other main headquarters are in, in Waterloo and so you have this really interesting dynamic because you have all of this like cutting edge technology taking place and just like innovation and dreamers and it attracts a lot of entrepreneurs um, And yet Waterloo region is gridlocked by Mennonites, um, hmm. old order Mennonites so it's like you have city and then horse and buggies. And that's the dynamic of what what we kind of deal with here in Waterloo, which is like a lot of young, hopeful dreamers. But then also, you know, as you mentioned, we have a location, a site in Elmira where it's like, you know, you have like just the rootedness of Christian history and tradition to an extent where like, it's just become, it's become lifestyle for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. What does it look like to, you know, own that as their own. And so like, it's a very unique area. Uh, you got the oldest of the old and the newest of the new uh, right next to each other.
1: Hmm. I love Canada so much, man. And I love yeah. how God has put people in different places. Like you could have, you know, been like, Hey, I'm going for Toronto, you know, yeah. I want to be yeah. in the Toronto and, and that, and that'd be amazing. I'd love it if you planted a church there. I think that'd be great for planet earth and for Toronto, but I just love how God's yeah. really placed you in a, in a place. And, and uh, the vision you have for these cities and these towns and what's possible through that really inspires me. Well, I think, you
0: know, for, for those of us that have studied um, studied scripture, like the, the Roman, Roman technology like provided a real, uh, a real pathway for the gospel to move. Like Roman technology through the roadways that they had created enabled the gospel to move forward. And so, you know, we're still in the process of trying to figure out, well, if we're in a a very innovative place, like what does it look like for God to harness the entrepreneurial energy and just innovation and and downright just like academic knowledge of these people that even attend our church in allowing the gospel to move forward uh, more Mm. quickly and more strategically? Um, You know, questions that we're even having in our church right now, is just like, what does it look like to send out digital uh, missionaries? And, uh, you know, having conversations around that. And so it really, I agree, like every city in Canada, like provides a unique mm. um, perspective on how we're moving forward the gospel. And, and I, I'm really appreciative that we ended up in Waterloo. It took me a few years to warm up to the place. Um, for a town that's called Waterloo, uh, there's no water in sight. So it's like, <laughs> it's, like it's not that exciting of like, a, like a, it's not that beautiful.
1: Yeah, I hear you. It's not a Pacific Northwest. It's not the lakes, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm tired of you inviting me over to the West Coast and like uh, (laughs) every time I land, I'm like, oh man.
1: Um, So you guys move to Waterloo and you start leading a student ministry called Embassy. And then how does that become what you're leading today?
0: Yeah, so um, Embassy had an incredible history, uh, even in Canada, kind of set some level of inspiration for a lot of other leaders in Canada to launch other student ministries on other campuses. So the model was create a church for students while they're on on campus, fully run by students for students for the period of time that they're in university. And uh, it was led very faithfully by Emma's um, aunt and uncle, Brandon and Melissa Mallow, for a number of years. And then there was a Transition of leaders. Um, there's, I think, three or four different leaders between them leading it and us. And when we took it over, there was um, approximately thirty people around. And by the time we actually like kicked off pastoring this church, there was only ten left. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I had this wonderful history where at one point uh, hundreds of university students were attending weekly. And then you know it was kind of like this. I there like, was this place where we found ourselves where it felt like there was really big shoes to fill. And so we stepped yeah. in kind of identified some uh, some leaders uh, right off the ground, uh, identified some skills, whatever else, and said, okay, we're going to start a church. And I remember those early days, like you just try to do what was modeled for you. And so I would get up and I'd like preach and uh, there'd be 10 people there. And they'd, like, I would stand up and like, like just such a great orator, uh, it was just like preaching my heart to this group of 10 people. And two of them were the pastors that were actually let go previously to us coming on and so they're just like totally checked out and so i'm like i guess you know hopefully emma gets something from this yeah and yeah. so you know we had to learn how to like adjust and adapt and the long story short is like over those three years um we actually grew quite significantly and so we mm-hmm. grew from a small group of 10 people that became like our core leaders to uh, a regular attendance of you know well over 200 but it was at that time where God started really laying on my heart, like, is this contributing to my, king- my kingdom? Like, that was what I just kept hearing in my spirit. Like, it's, um, it's one thing to, like, throw on the best Christian party in a city. It's another thing to, like, build the kingdom. Hmm. And what I was just sensing in my own spirit was that we were a really good young adult collective, but like at the end of the day, we were a young adult collective that was draining a lot of other churches in the area of the young adults that just found what we were doing more exciting and more appealing. But at the end of those four years, there was nowhere for them to go. So they would leave a really healthy and good church in the area, come to what we were doing. But I could already see it like people are aging out and not ending mm-hmm. up anywhere. And, uh, and so, you know, we went through um, a period of time of having, you know, some difficult conversations around what do we do with this thing? And to Emma's aunt and uncle's credit, they said, you know what? It's in a healthy place. It's the first time it's been in that place for a long time. We're going to release you to do whatever you, you know, you feel God leading you to do with this. Mm -hmm. And so we found ourselves in a place um, where I'm like, well, we're still a young adult collective. Like, it's not time to just like, all right, let's use the momentum, which has been created through the student ministry and the student church to just like build as big of a church as we can. And so I felt really convicted. And I remember over the course of a number of months, basically coaching people to go back to the churches that they came from. There was one, uh, in one week in particular, where if I had the maturity I have now, I would have worded it differently. But I remember saying like, Hey, if you attend two different churches or you came from another church, I'm going to ask that you go back. You're no longer welcome here. Um, you need to go serve where, where you came from. And so overnight, uh, you know, the long story short is we went from attendance of well over 200 to um, about 40 people that were like, "Hey, what did you do? Like, what did you do to this church? Like, why what, did you and, do this? And what do we do? We met <laughs> yeah. Jesus here. We've never had another church in the area. Like, and he kind of like really killed a, a you know a good vibe. And it was around that time that God was also planning the idea of just intergenerational ministry, something that would you know help build what God was doing in the Waterloo region and not take away. To find our our kind of niche in the kingdom of God here. And so that was a really difficult process. We had a child on the way. Our first, um, yeah. our, our daughter, Kensington, was on the way. And so obviously there's like financial things you're thinking through and and all the rest. But it all eventually led us to using this small group um, and, you know, starting to get a dream and forming the early ideas of what Slate Church would become.
1: Hmm. One of the things I've appreciated with chatting with you is just like what you said and we all have these moments where you go if i had the maturity i had now i would have said it differently um yeah. but doing ministry young it is one of those things you d- you can laugh about it but then there's also these moments where it's like quite hard to kind of like process decisions yeah. you made in ministry and and le- even if you give the younger version of yourself the benefit of the doubt it's like maybe the intentions were good but there just there wasn't the wisdom there wasn't the experience and there was also just immaturity i just wonder how how have you navigated that like you're you're leading now like and you're asking deep questions you and i are having these side conversations about discipleship and formation the the role of a pastor and how do we make disciples in our time and you know what does this look like how have you sort of come to peace with that
0: a faithful reading of scripture for me is is a great help um jesus has never used anybody to build his church that was perfect and you know, look at Peter, the night that Jesus is betrayed, like he's cutting a guy's ear off, and yet he's responsible for leading what is left. And mm. you know, I, I don't think that that's great behavior. I don't think we should encourage that across churches at all. I don't think we should celebrate that, like that's what real leadership looks like. But you know, his willingness to be humbled, uh, you know, a few days later, and be reinstated, is a process mm. I think we all have to go through to some. Some degree or some level where we recognize that there's a level of humility that is necessary for leadership and a level of humility that openly admits, I yeah, I got it wrong without trying to make excuses. Um, I think that we're quick to justify our actions, and, and certainly I am as well. I don't like to be misunderstood, but I had a wonderful conversation at one point during all the many transitions that you know you breeze over in a quick overview of how we got to where we are today. And, you know, a good pastor friend of mine said, you know, you have to be willing to pass the test of being misunderstood. And, you know, I think that that comment in the hand of a narcissist would be actually quite a destructive way to live, you know, until people Mm -hmm. can see the real me. It's like, but, you know, alongside being willing to be misunderstood, um, alongside doing your best to maintain a certain level of humility, um, outside voices were so important to be able to kind of, you know, say what was true and what was not true. You know, this is the way I feel about myself. Well, yeah, you have a a tendency to drive people too hard. Okay, well, that's something I really need to watch. Um, But this part that they're saying is not true. You you know, you're actually a good listener. You reflect deeply. Not everything you do is on you. These are conversations Mm. with mentors that while I'm going through this process of recognizing God doesn't use perfect people, um, I'm not perfect, remaining humble, being willing to pass the test of being misunderstood, there's still enough good people in my life. My dad being one of them, he was willing to say, you know, whatever needs to be said to me, you know, kind of doing those gut checks with me. So it's not just me processing what's going on, and then also being willing to go through that process with the people that you're leading, checking with them. Mm-hmm. Hey, what about this is true and what's not? What what would be the greatest things I do need to work on? And and uh, so yeah. I... Uh, you know, I recognize even just the time that we, we find ourselves in as a church in Canada, like it can be really tempting to look towards the south and, and see certain styles of ministry and maybe even just like certain styles of leadership that seem to be celebrated and to be tempted to be like, hey, maybe that's a viable option here in Canada. And I just yeah, I just don't think it is like I think that um, we live in a society in, in and in a, you know, this idea of tall poppy syndrome. That like if you get too far ahead of yourself, too big of an ego, somebody's going to, they'll find a way to squash it. I think the only way to do ministry in the context we find ourselves, which is like biblical anyway, so it's encouraging, is to have a, a sense of humility in all of the actions we take. and Being able to, being able to have some level of um, uh, uh, separation between what we do and who we are. Uh, mm. You know, not everything we do is, is core to who we are, so.
1: Mm. Yeah, I hear you, man. I think one of the things that I'm reminded of, and I, I can't remember if it was on this podcast, but Mark Sayers like, continues to sort of like speak words into the life of the Canadian church. And the thing that he keeps wanting, among other things, mm. can't, Canadian pastors to hear is that there's a role that Canada can play in the global church conversation yeah. because um because it's it's the kind of crucible or like the the effect of sort of the world in which Canada is yeah. is like it's created a, hu- a humility but also a courage so he's always saying like it's a humble courage right. like courageous bold like good things are ahead it's it count the cost it go after it that's um right. believe for 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 good things ahead but also like it's rooted in this humility that's like i'm not the main character it's not about building my platform. And uh, I, I think about that a lot, about what that looks like to kind of walk in that tension of that humble courage to yeah. believe boldly, to re- lead courageously. You and I chat a lot about how like the season demands courageous leadership, yeah. the f- not being afraid of being misunderstood, making a call when things are foggy. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, having the humility that says like, I'm imperfect, I'm broken. Yeah. This isn't just about me. And uh wonder, yeah, do you have any reflections on that idea of that, that humble courage? Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful
0: way to describe what Jesus did, um, you know, exhibiting that around every turn. I think that one thing that's been helpful for me to process is that we have to take in tandem the words of Jesus along with the way of Jesus. And I think, you know, we all have a tendency to gravitate towards one side of Jesus, you know, and of course there's more dynamics to who he was, but some of us love the words of Jesus. We need to remain faithful to the words of Jesus. And in doing so we exhibit that in a way that does not line up with the way he exhibited those words. And so it becomes Mm -hmm. very demeaning. It becomes a very much an us and them mentality. Like somehow, you know, we've got to somehow fight this world that we live in. Um, On the other side, sometimes when we just talk about the way of Jesus, it can be tempting to ignore the fact that he had standards or there were certain things that, you know, uh, barriers he wasn't going to cross or core tenets of our faith that we hold today that he was able to hold in tension. So, you know, not all of the ideas that Jesus was sharing during his time on earth were popular or even welcome in the time period that he found himself in. But he wasn't yelling them in this bombastic way, Hmm. you know, and in Canada, it's been a confusing environment, um, over the last little while with certain restrictions and, you know, seeing, and, and again, we all, we always have this perspective of the States, which is like just doing their own thing. But, um, I think that the temptation could be to like, just be so outspoken and, you know, and forget that, you know, Jesus walked through worse things with deep humility, not, you know, we don't have words of, Of condemnation to the society that he lived in, but words of, you know, that were sometimes convicting and, and he did it in a very humble and, and peaceful way. So, um, yeah, it's been really helpful for me to be mindful that, you know, when I'm sharing the words of Jesus, am I, am I sharing them in in the way that Jesus was sharing them? Because like Hmm. they have to be in tandem. You have to have a standard. You have to be willing to make a tough call, but even in the ways that Jesus made a tough call, high relationship, um, Lots of understanding for, um, others context, um, a greater picture in mind, um, constantly bringing people back to what matters. He wasn't just doing it to put on a show. And that can be really tempting at times, I think.
1: Hmm. There was a moment for you in the last little while where you and Emma were like, willing to kind of let go of the church where you wondered, Hey, we, are we supposed to keep leading this? Yeah. I just wonder if you'd share a bit about that season and, and just even that experience, of letting go of something and what, how that's changed the way in which you lead now.
0: Yeah. Um, So there's been two moments in particular where it was just like, you know, maybe time it now is the time to let go of the reins where there, we were put into a situation where there was such a pressure cooker that, you know, we just felt like holding on was doing more harm than letting go. And um, I think that the, the thing that I had to process during that time is like, I am not my ministry. Um, You know, like Brandon leads Slate Church, but I am not Slate Church. Um, And at the end of the day, Slate Church is nobody's church, but God's church. And Slate Church is God's church alongside Coin and Creekside and um, UCC and uh, C3 that also exist in our area. And I can't wrap my identity so much in up in what I'm doing or or the title that I've received Mm. for what I do in the kingdom of God that I'm not willing to entertain the idea that somebody else could do this as good as I, I can. And um, you know, those are really difficult places to come, but there was like a freedom in the sense of like, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter what um, I'm responsible for, the calling actually remains the same to go out and make disciples Mm. And I can do that whether I've got a tight grip on the wheel here or I have a trust in Jesus, no matter how this life pans out. And so, you know, one of those moments happened in the midst of COVID. One of those moments happened uh, in that transition from embassy to slate where I had to reevaluate, like, am I trying to fight for something that I just have so much emotional connection to, or am i trying to fight because this is the best for God's church. And we just had to find that, you know, we had to allow other people into that, into those moments for them to make those decisions, um, which is excruciating. Nobody wants their um, nobody wants their um, fate to be decided by others. Like we'd prefer to make it ourselves. But what I kept learning is the more I tried to dis- determine my fate for myself, um, the more tight grip I got. And, uh, you know, it was just this place of, of trusting God and, and willing and in a willingness to say like, Hey God, like it's in your hands. You know, if this is your will, it it will be done. And uh, Mm -hmm. if it's not like, I'm going to trust what you have for us next. And um, thankfully we didn't, you know, in our, in our case, um, especially recently, like we didn't have to entertain that for too long. Uh, We had some really good people come alongside us, but um, what it did is in the midst of a pandemic where like, it's it can be really confusing to be a pastor in a context where things are continually yeah. changing. And, you know, you see the stats across the church and the amount of people that are returning to in-person gatherings. And um, the amount of people that have just moved on, it seems like from faith, maybe there wasn't a rootedness in that or for whatever reason have moved on. Like it's mm-hmm. much easier in those moments to go like, hey, I'm, I'm not responsible for the outcome here. I'm just responsible for faithfulness. And that's been deeply encouraging to me to, to realize like, I... There is not like when we come up to our annual goals, there is at one point it was like, this is how many people we want to see. And now it's like, you no, know, like, what are the things we want to be faithful with? And then out of that, God will bring the amount that needs to come. There are no more annual numbers of butts and seats because it's like God's going to take care of that. Let's be faithful with hmm. what we feel he's calling us to do right now. And that's been really encouraging. It's a, That has enabled us to take certain risks in the midst of a pandemic. Understanding that Mm. we're just pursuing the call that God's called uh, placed on us.
1: So I remember being, it was like December, it must be December. I get all these years wrong. We're in 2022. It wasn't 2021, maybe December, 2020. I'm on the phone with Ben and he's pastoring in uh, Brandon, Manitoba yeah. And I'm just so inspired by his faith. He's been on the podcast before. Incredible story. Just And I didn't know him at all. I essentially cold called him. And I was like, hey, I, what I needed is I've got great community here. Like yeah. I lead the way with other pastors. And in the city, there's so many good brothers and sisters who are leading churches, inspiring each other. But I wanted to reach out to some people that were... Doing it different than me, had different values, even different theological emphasis than yeah. me, but also like shared some deep resonance of like a courage and a belief for God to bring revival. Yeah. And we're in different contexts, but also leading maybe similar sized organizations. So I was trying to find this kind of like, and so I reached out to Ben, we're chatting. I was just so impacted. And we just had this like sense. I really felt the Lord... Um, was leading he he prays a lot more than me so it wouldn't be a surprise if it was his idea <laughs> sure. and um he, you know we're like i think we should meet every month with a couple other pastors and uh we threw out two other names it was brandon richardson and levi mary church both you guys who i didn't know at all either and he i don't think we knew levi very well and we just started the four of us meeting monthly and it was really powerful for me and i don't know what it was man it was just um yeah and i don't think there's much leadership involved we just shared stories what we're going through prayed together um and i maybe we did it over eight or nine months i don't know exactly how long it lasted but obviously it built some friendships that are, are enduring but i found this like space where i could talk about how i was really feeling yeah what questions i was wrestling with uh in a really confusing time i just wonder what your experience was with that that journey as well
0: yeah i remember one meeting in particular you know we refer to it often where
1: uh <laughs> ben just calls me out for. i don't even remember at this point what it was i think we're like three or four times hanging out in and yeah. ben just goes brandon i gotta tell you something you can't say or do that anymore because that da that da." da, da. Yeah. i think he i think it was it the one about like he like just was like i don't like what you did on social media there yeah. or something like that i think so <laughs>
0: Yeah, because I was like, I was drowning under the amount of uh, direct messages I was getting. And I posted something along the lines of like, I, just so you're aware, and it sounds terrible when I say it, like, I'm going to post more, and you're probably going to hear less responses from me. It's like, the gall that you have to put that in. But I just remember, like, he didn't even ask for context. He didn't, he didn't seek to see how, you know, my intention behind that post. He just like straight up said, hey, Brandon, that was wrong. And like, I'm really upset with you for that. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. But what it taught me, it was like, I was like, thank God I have some guys in my life now that will just, you know, when they see when they see it, they'll call it. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, that was such a constructive <laughs> moment. It was basically like you became mediator. Like we had a great counseling session, Ben and I. Well, I
1: remember when I saw you post that, I was like, am I allowed to do that? That would be really helpful for me. And then when Ben called you out on, I was like, no, 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 I'm not gonna do it <laughs> yet. I, see I think I'll post it. <laughs> I'll figure something else out.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was a move of desperation. It had nothing to do with like the way that I saw myself in relation to others. It was just like, I was drowning in that moment. But even just the fact that he could call it, all of a sudden a healthy discussion happened. And that was like a lot of our time together. I don't know if you would reflect on like, I don't really remember the themes by which we really talked about, except for fireworks Mm, were happening every conversation, it seemed.
1: Yeah, I think it would be like, it was about... I think the reason why I wanted to bring it up was really just to share with the people who are listening. Like, yeah. You can call three other pastors yeah. and ask to hang out, and you don't need a template or a guide, essentially. And if you want one, we essentially took time for the first ones to hear a bit of each other's stories. Yeah. And then it was really just like, what are you thinking about? What are you processing? and uh in this case trust was built quickly i think mean, that was god's grace yeah and people's willingness to be vulnerable and it was also the nature of the season it was kind of like lifeline season it was like yeah what is going yeah. on do we have anyone in our church like and um, you hadn't launched at the time right like you I guys don't were think still so. in so december ready to yeah or we were just doing some online stuff oh online maybe I mean, it had launched, but it was, it was a, online yeah, yeah i'm trying to i always get the timelines wrong it was like an unclear time yeah and uh but it was just so special. And then I think what Ben brought to the table that was unique was a sense of being led by the spirit. Yeah. And just, you know, people listening might be like, oh, it sounds really offensive what he did. But this, this, the thing is, he was, it was so clear that he's for you. Oh, yeah. And so clear. Sure. Like there's one time where I was probably talking low about myself and he's like, hey, I got to interrupt you right now. Like, that's just a lie. Yeah. That's just a lie. And then he just spoke truth over me. Yeah. And it was just so powerful. I remember when we, there was a building that got vandalized and I texted you guys Yes, and you guys were like praying and Ben was like, are you doing okay, Jay? Like he just wanted to make sure I wasn't like in a really vulnerable state. I'm like, no, I'm okay. He's like, and then he just started like via text, like just proclaiming what was true, praying boldly, praying against the plans of the enemy. And again, like that, that, that group message, that time was so meaningful, the gift of friendship, but the gift of not doing it alone. And I think when I think about CCLN, And what we're attempting to do is like, we're not, I don't think people need another leadership podcast. I think there's better ones out there. Um, I think we can talk about leadership and talk about pastoral leadership. I think what we're trying to do is seed the idea of like a community that takes different forms across our country of being together. And ultimately this, at its best, what we're doing right now is like a seed for something that could be reproduced locally. I know that our executive pastor, and your executive pastor and a number of others, they meet monthly, don't they? And they chat about like life, but also like, hey, can you share that like spreadsheet you did? Or, you know, whatever executive pastors do, there's spreadsheets, there's policy documents, there's liability. Whatever those guys do. (laughs) But like this idea of like no one, you don't need permission from anyone to invite three or four other people together and to share and to chat um, and to wrestle through some of those things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, I've been on the receiving end of CCLN just like it's not only a desire you have, it's a it's something that like the 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 concept is working. And so hmm. you know, across the variety of things that CCLN uh provides, whether it's through podcasts or environments for pastors to meet one another, like I've been able to walk with you and kind of be like a bit of a guinea pig through some of those stages. And now yeah. like, I was unaware of the amount of like incredible uh, humans leading across Canada. Can be so easy to get so narrow on just your corner of the world. And so what it's opened up is, yeah, just relationship and the need for it. Like it, Hmm. we can't believe the lie that we're strong enough to do this alone or to think that we have, Hmm. you know,
1: we have it all together. What's exciting you, man, when you're looking ahead the future? Um, whether it's a slight church or what's giving you hope and excitement right now?
0: God's been reigniting, uh, you know, a passion and a heart for this nation. You know, hmm. I think that there have been enough prophetic words spoken over Canada that I think for some of us as pastors, we need to just start believing that they were prophetic voices and not just grandiose statements. Um uh, I really believe in the nation that that God has placed us in. I think that we do have a temptation to see ourselves as small, um, and if that is our temptation, then we need to add significant to it. Yeah, it might be we might be smaller, but it, what God's doing here is significant. Um, we've weathered some cultural shifts before the rest of the world, and I think this is some of what Mark Sayers would get into as he's talking about Canada, but we've weathered some significant cultural shifts before other parts of the, of Western civilization. And it's given us a grittiness that we can apply not only to our ourselves, but to those that are experiencing these shifts, um, Mm. uh, across the world. And of course we, we've witnessed that a little bit in in a group that we're a part of, uh, in the States, like some of that, those pastors are now going through what Canada has been going through for a little while or. Yeah. And, um, so I'm excited about Canada's positioning in the world. I'm excited about what he's just doing in our church. Like it's like, I have no need to like make it bigger than what it is in anybody's minds. It's just like, it's really exciting and I'm, I'm totally uh, content to keep leading this, but then God's mm. also given us like a big heart for small towns. I don't know what it is, but um I, th- I see a lot of people really excited about large cities right now. And I think it's great. Tim Keller was right. The world is coming to, to large cities. And if we want to reach all the nations, that's a really strategic place to do so. Um, in that trend that we're seeing, I see small towns, which used to have a United Church or a Lutheran Church or a you know a thriving Catholic Church, just like vibrant and doing really well. I'm seeing a lot of these small towns just kind of empty of the churches that were once thriving and now we mm. have historical monuments and uh and i think that it's time for the presence of god to reinvigorate some of those environments and to mm. to see like a lot of great things come out of small towns so that's kind of where our focus is we're in a medium-sized city focused on small towns and uh oh, i love that that's what i'm excited about and it's probably because i grew up in a smaller town you know my dad who's my hero is in the process right now of looking to launch a, a location or a church and i don't if he wants to do it through slate, he wants to, but if that's not what's best for the future, I don't, it's not what it's about. I'm just really stoked that this guy that has had a dream of being a pastor for all these years is starting to take some faith steps in that direction and it's gonna serve a small town, which I'm really excited about. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited about small towns.
1: I love it, dude. Yeah. Oh, I love that heart so much. I mean, I'm drawn to the city. Like, that's where God led me. Yeah. But then my when I look at Canada, it's like, man, Canada is in these smaller towns. Yeah. And so I think it's really important that we talk about this and we, yeah. um, that God would put in the heart of more and more young men and women, yeah. gifted, called men and women, to go into these places. And I think some of the best stuff, some of the best writing, the best resources will be forged in those environments. I really believe yeah. that because... Yeah. Because, I'm, man, I'll talk, I, I'm all for the talk about going online, metaverse, whatever. Yeah. But here's the truth. The more things go digital, the more things go scattered, the more face-to-face discipleship yes. becomes like the fundamental building block. And so it's yeah. when I talk to my friend Phil from Pemberton that goes, everyone in this city is in my parish. And I can see them face to face and I can go to their door. And I think there's going to be this, yes, we're going to move into the metaverse, whatever. Um, And I sound cynical about it, but I'm not. It's like, this is great. I love that people are trying that. While we're doing that, let's also go door to door again. Like the I pastor agree. who chops wood, who brings soup, who chats with people. Yes. And we need to let those tensions, and that feels like a tension as I'm even saying it, yeah. like inform the pastoral vocation in a meaningful way. And so I think there will be a resurgence of uh, some of the best stuff and the best voices coming out of these uh, parish environments, yeah. these smaller towns where a church can say, these 3,000 people, whether they're that's in right. my church or not, that's right. I've been called to be their pastor. That's right. Yeah. and
0: And you know the way that i've broken it down in in my mind is like there's strategically lead leadership and there's tactical leadership and the way that i i've defined that is like strategic is where a lot of leaders love to live it's the it's the big idea it's the um you know it's uh it's the high level like okay this is what we're going to accomplish the big vision but tactical is like that on on the ground hand to hand combat so to speak where it's it's so, okay, we've got a big vision for what we want to have happen, but let's do the work. And the work mm. often looks like listening. Uh, yeah. Listening and praying, really. So. Yeah.
1: Um, you came through town in through Vancouver not too long ago, and you got to jump into one of our staff meetings. And I put you on the spot to share something, and you shared this picture of like uh, leadership um, being like, you had, you know, if, if yeah. someone could see, like, one fist closed, one hand open. Could you just share a little bit about that idea?
0: What I was sharing was, um, you know, it's a life passage that anytime I want to give up on ministry, on calling, on faith, on anything, I'm reminded of the the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, God's giving, you know, his different his different servants um, different responsibilities within his kingdom before he returns. And um, I think the temptation right now is that we would, because there's so many questions, we don't want to get it wrong. Like we're afraid of getting it wrong right now. And so the temptation is to bury what's been given to us. And the tragic thing I see happening, and it was happening in my heart for a little while, is that it's not about having one or two or five talents. It's not about the amount. But there's a lot of people that assume they're the one with the one when they're really the one with the five that are still, mm. like it's not just the people with one that are are tempted to bury it. I'm seeing a lot more leaders with five talents and two, and two talents doing great things. They can, and they're tempted to just bury it at a of fear of, of the environment we find ourselves in. And, and so out of that story, I've just been reminded myself like, Hey, stay in the game. Like, it's not about whether or not you're going to get it right or you're going to get it wrong. Just do something. The master says to the servant, you could have just done something with this and I would have been happy. Just do anything. And, um, in that, it's a great reminder that the talents and the responsibilities we receive, um, while there's a responsibility attached to them, at the end of the day, the master comes back and they're still the masters. And so mm. this whole idea of leadership is that 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 I've kind of framed in, in my heart, my mind, and, and with our team, it's like we need to have a, an open hand and a, and a closed hand view of ministry. One that says, okay... What I've been given, I'm going to take responsibility for. I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to I'm going to make good on it. I'm going to do the best. I'm not going to bury it. I'm going to hold it and I'm going to invest it and I'm going to do the right things. And on the other hand, I'm going to keep an open hand because at the end of the day, what I understand is that what I've received is, is not mine to hold forever. Uh, this is something that God's given me that if God were to give it to somebody else, I'm okay with that. If God was to to say, hey, it's more strategic or... You know, if he wants to give me more, I'm ready. Um, but in mm-hmm. our leadership, you know, I think even in in our church, you know, we're a really volunteer-led church. Um, we have staff members, but their entire purpose is to equip uh, the volunteers to do the work of the church. And and in those environments, we want people to take ownership. We also want them to realize that they don't have to be burdened. Um, mm-hmm. You know that that it that you know this is theirs till the day they die. Like it's actually we're just serving God and serving others in the process. And so often when we're running with whatever God's given us, we might be the one with two and looking to the other side. Well, he has more or he has less. And we use that to reassure ourselves. And yet the responsibility is not to look and, you know, become prideful because we have more than them or become insecure because we have less than them. But it's just like, you know what, just be faithful with what God's placed in your hand. And and the master comes back and he says, well done, good and faithful servant not looking for amounts he's not looking for he's just faithfulness and so uh yeah that's been something that that's been helpful for us to process through in our team and in
1: our church mm, you was so helpful for us and just appreciate you a ton man thanks for your time today thanks for hanging out and sharing your story and it's been a real gift well huge thanks again to brandon for sharing your heart and your story with us today Hey, if you're listening and you wanna learn more about this idea of like pastoral cohorts, like pastors connecting, kind of how Brandon and I described, we'd love to hear from you. Like let us know if this is something you're excited about because as a team, we're really trying to ask the question, how do we fuel more and more pastors connecting together for support, for friendship, for prayer, but also for shared learning. I think some of the best tools and ideas for pastoring our time will come from our peers learning together. And so right now we're trying to build some guides and some different resources that could fuel that. But to be honest, you don't really need much to get started. If you call a few pastors, say, can we try this for three months? Like what if we get together once a month on Zoom? And all you've gotta do is take turns sharing your story, share some highs, some lows, and some questions you're wrestling with and then pray together, and then make sure it doesn't go too long so people actually want to come back the next time. And my hunch is that if you do that, you will not regret it. Before we go, let me tell you a little bit about what's happening next on the podcast. Our next episode is with Melissa Ewing from Redwood Park Church in Thunder Bay, Ontario. This is a very important conversation. I was strongly impacted as I heard her story of calling and the ministry she feels called to in her local church and the work they're doing towards reconciliation with indigenous people and the surrounding area. It's powerful and profound. I don't want you to miss it. So come join us on our next episode and we'll see you then.